Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Aspen Daily News. My name is Greg Stewart. Aspen to update park rentals, special events policies. Park rentals to be limited to 125 participants max. Special events to be reclassified into two levels. Article by Megan Weber from the Tuesday, February 28 edition of Aspen Daily News Online. The City of Aspen's park rental and special events policies are due for a makeover, and that is in the works following Aspen City Council's Monday work session. The Council provided feedback on the updated policies on Monday, which will be refined into a trial period and eventually adopted into the Municipal Code. As park rentals and special event activity has increased in recent years, city staff said it felt like now is the time to give the matter some attention. Primarily, the new policies will define park rentals and special events more clearly and differentiate between the two. This has to do with this idea that, historically, we treated everything as a special event, said Matt Kuhn, K-U-H-N, Parks Director. From a small birthday party to food and wine, it fell into the special event category. As you can imagine, that creates problems and some challenges. Kind of this one-size-fits-all approach. So we've defined two unique policies that work in parallel, and we've defined some metrics that will ensure that these are clear to the community and serve the functions and the desires of the community. Under the new policy, park rentals will include any event that is four hours or less in duration and will allow a maximum of 125 participants. Park rentals will also only be allowed to have limited infrastructure, such as yoga mats or pop-up tents, and will be booked 90 days or less in advance. Commercial rentals of parks will also be allowed with a new commercial fee that will cost $25 per day. Hourly rental fees will also be implemented. Special events, on the other hand, will be categorized into two levels. Level 1 events will have no alcohol use, no street closures, less than 250 people, limited infrastructure, and would last one day. Level 2 events would include at least one of the following. Alcohol sales or distribution, street or park closures, multiple day duration, significant infrastructure, and more than 250 people, including vendors, staff, and volunteers. For the park rentals, council members said they would like to see fairness reflected in the rental fees and appreciated that the rentals would be non-exclusive. Special Events and Marketing Director Nancy Leslie said that the biggest change to the Special Events application and policy would be that events would need to be open to the public. Exclusive events could be ticketed, she said, because there are spaces available in the private sector for these types of events. Councilman Ward Heinstein brought up the Palm Tree Music Festival that was held over the weekend in Rio Grande Park and asked if there should be an accelerated fee for larger events like it. 
Councilwoman Rachel Richards mentioned that back in September when the council approved the concert, part of the deal was that there would be a similar concert in the summer that was free to the public. I do remember saying I expect this to be of similar caliber in terms of who's playing that you're having here now, Richard said. So we did have some boot in the bargain, so to speak, with their permitting that time. City Manager Sarah Ott told the council that the city is currently having that conversation with the concert producers. The council all supported having, rather also supported having, a debrief discussion to consider what worked with the concert and what didn't. I know people were really happy about it. Councilman John Doyle said the other thing is it was loud. I could hear the lyrics in the West End. I'm not complaining. I just stated that I could hear the lyrics in the West End. Staff plans to return to the council in the future with special events ordinances related to the municipal code. In the meantime, more information about the updates can be found at aspencommunityvoice.com slash park-rental. And now, Signature Aviation touts its carbon neutrality, says it's the first aviation firm to achieve feet across global network. Article by the Aspen Daily News staff. Signature Aviation, one of seven respondents to Pitkin County's request for proposals to be the next fixed based operator at the Aspen Pitkin County Airport, announced Tuesday that it achieved carbon neutrality for 2022 across its global network of more than 200 FBO locations. A news release from Signature states that its investment in carbon neutrality covers greenhouse gas emissions from all of its ground equipment, vehicles, facilities, electrical and natural gas heating and buildings, the, the company also announced its commitment to maintaining carbon-neutral operations for every year going forward. Becoming the first private aviation company to make such a network-wide commitment, the release says. Signature is a multinational aviation services company headquartered, headquartered in London. The United States is the company's largest market with operations at 38 of the top 50 busiest airports. It operates FBOs at four airports in Colorado, including the Eagle County Regional Airport. The release states that Signature accomplished its carbon-neutral milestones in different ways. First, it reduced its own emissions through electrification of vehicles, energy efficiency, and on-site solar power across its facilities. Next came grid-based renewable energy, followed by carbon offsets for the remaining emissions. Signature's entire offset investment came from Elk Creek Mine Project near Paonia, the company said. As Signature continues its investment in reducing its own emissions in future years, it anticipates that offsets will contribute a smaller amount of its investment in carbon neutrality, the release says. We recognize the significant challenges and responsibilities for the Aspen Pitton County Airport, and we look forward to meeting those challenges. If we are the successful respondent, Signature Aviation CEO Tony Lefebvre said in a prepared statement, that's Tony Lefebvre, that's L-E-F-E-B-V-R-E. Our past year of conversations with the Aspen community have impressed upon us the community's passion for reducing its carbon footprint. The statement continued, 
We are committed to helping Pitkin County achieve its goals of a 30% reduction in emissions by 2030 and the net zero by 2050 commitment, should we be the successful bidder. The, uh, this commitment, rather, is consistent with Signature's values and actions to date across our company. Signature has additionally utilized its Eagle County FBO location as a test bed for sustainable innovation. According to the company, the location was Signature's first to achieve carbon neutrality in the fall of 2022, propelled by the establishment of a supply chain for sustainable aviation fuels in the Colorado Rockies, on-site solar generation, and a range of facility and fleet upgrades that resulted in a 15% reduction in fossil fuel emissions last year. The company called its carbon neutrality announcement a key step in Signature Aviation's work toward its goals set forth in 2020 that are aligned with Paris, rather, with the Paris Agreement targets to limit global warming. We've set out to achieve ambitious emissions reduction targets, and rather than just making promises, we are proud to deliver real, quantifiable progress by becoming the first FBO to achieve carbon neutrality across its entire global network. Lefebvre said, Climate change is a global challenge, and the commitment to carbon neutral operations going forward ensures we are reaching every community that Signature serves today and will in the future, Signature's CEO added. And now, a look at news in brief. Early childhood educators in Pitco receive stipends. This month, 89 early childhood educators received staff support stipends checks as part of a joint program between Pitkin County and the Aspen Community Foundation, according to a Pitkin County news release. The Pitkin Board of County Commissioners joined staff from the County and Aspen Community Foundation in delivering the checks to teachers at licensed child care centers across the county in Basalt, Snowmass Village, Woody Creek, the Aspen Airport Business Center, and Aspen. The checks are the first in a set of stipends that will be distributed to teachers over three years. The Early Childhood Staff Support Stipend Program provides immediate, short-term support to child care teachers and staff working in challenging locals, rather, in a challenging local landscape. Child care centers struggle to remain competitive with other professions as the cost, rather as the rising cost of housing in the area creates challenges in attracting and retaining teachers. Care for our youngest children, birth to five years of age, is a critical component of our community's social infrastructure. The attraction and retention of staff in our county child care facilities is currently the most threatened piece of the system. This stipend is intended to stabilize the system and support critical child care providers in our community, said BOCC Chair Francie Jacober in the release. Commissioners agreed to spend $1.57 million from the Federal American Rescue Plan Act to find solutions to the area's child care crisis, starting with the stipend program and possibly expanding to fund other support measures. The stipend program provides $6,000 total to each full-time staff member of a licensed child care center located within the county in the years 2023 and 2024, paid out quarterly. 
The Aspen Community Foundation is administering the program. Additional dollars may be available in 2025, depending on funding availability. The funding is temporary. Realizing the stipend program will not alleviate all of the hurdles child care providers are experiencing, county staff continues to analyze and research the possibility of using county funding to help with additional challenges that have been identified, such as families struggling to pay the cost of care. The county has received $3.45 million in ARPA funding. Besides child care, the dollars will go toward community housing initiatives. The two priorities, child care and housing, were pinpointed by commissioners last fall as urgent needs in the community that also align with ARPA's usage guidelines. Continuing with news in brief, Aspen Snowmass celebrates Women's History Month. In celebration of Women's History Month, Aspen Snowmass is proud to bring together and honor women for their contributions, not only in the local community, but across the globe, with events centering around International Women's Day on March 8. To honor International Women's Day, a community uphill champagne lunch will be hosted at the Cliff House Restaurant atop Buttermilk Mountain from noon to 2 p.m. on March 8. Again, that's hosted at the Cliff House Restaurant atop Buttermilk Mountain from noon to 2 p.m. on March 8. A glass of champagne will be offered to all attendees over the age of 21 with live music from DJ Alex Gordon, rather Alex Golden. Additional food and beverages will be available for purchase at the, Cliffs, uh, the Cliff House before, during, and after the event until 3.15 p.m. Ute Mountaineer in Aspen will offer free uphill gear demos on March 8 to anyone participating in the uphill champagne lunch. Contact Ute Mountaineer for more details on gear pickup. Dogs are not permitted during mountain operational hours or at any formal uphill events. All participants must have a valid uphill pass and display their uphill strap. Following the uphill champagne lunch, the Limelight Aspen will host an APRE Fireside Chat Women's Panel in partnership with Half Days, the women-owned ski and outdoor apparel brand, in the hotel lobby from 4 to 6 p.m. on March 8. Open to the public, this event will feature a panel discussion with impactful women from the outdoor industry, including... Aspen Snowmass COO and Chief Legal Officer Reina Dershowitz, Ariana Ferwerda, co-founder and CEO of Half Days, Ski Magazine Editor-in-Chief Sierra Schaefer, and New York Times contributor Marisa Meltzer. The APRE event also will include a raffle with all proceeds going to She Jumps a nonprofit committed to bringing access to the outdoors to girls and women across the nation. Aspen Snowmass will be hosting She Jumps on March 25 with a She Jumps Junior Ski Patrol Clinic. The Wild Skills training event is for junior high and high school girls. The event gives girls an opportunity to learn from professional female ski patrollers about a range of outdoor skills and the many facets of mountain safety, with numerous activities including the basics of first aid and visits with avalanche dogs on snowmass. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit the 
eventbrite.com page for She Jumps, Wild Skills, Junior Ski Patrol Snowmass, and now an obituary. Remembering Jan Cochran, April 18, 1945, to February 19, 2023. After a long illness, Jan Cochran, beloved wife, friend, teacher, and supporter of the Aspen community, passed away in her home the morning of February 19, 2023. Jan was born April 18, 1945, to Harry and Jean McClellan in Aberdeen, Washington. When she was very young, her family moved to West Seattle because her father's work building landing barges during World War II was completed. Jan graduated from West Seattle High School in 1963. At the, Ver- at the University of Puget Sound, she was a member of the Gamma Phi Beta sorority. A semester abroad in her junior year took Jan to Vienna where she loved attending opera and eating lemon pastries. While in Europe, she traveled to Paris, Rome, Budapest, and Berlin, and was thrilled to ski in the Alps. After receiving her bachelor's degree in education in 1967, Jan wasted no time in coming to Colorado, where, in the fall of 1967, she began her first and only career teaching, her only career teaching job with the Aspen School District. As the years passed, Jan was both shocked and delighted when she discovered some second generations of second, third, and fourth graders in her classroom. She completed her master's degree in remedial reading at the University of Northern Colorado in 1975. With over 30 years of teaching in Aspen, Jan's legacy includes hundreds of beloved students and their families. Jan retired from teaching in 2000 but stayed on to mentor teachers and assist in rather in assist as a substitute until 2007 for 2 years jan enjoyed teaching three-dimensional art classes in her neighborhood at anderson ranch in her first winter here jan decided to take an abnormal psychology class in aspen through adams state college where she met a tall handsome 1960s ski bum named Ned Cochran. Their friendship began to blossom when they bumped into each other in a lift line on Aspen Mountain. They rode the lift together, and the rest is history. Ned was captured by Jan's unbridled enthusiasm for skiing and for life. All weather, all trails, was her motto. Ned was deeply impressed with her passion and ability to ski. Her radiant smile Her relentless determination and her happy, energetic personality stole Ned's heart. Ned recently came across a love letter he had written to Jan when she was with girlfriends to ski in Jackson Hole one year over spring break. Ned realized the depth of his love for Jan, and although he was afraid to propose for more years than he wants to admit, he finally did. Ned and Jan married on August 18, 1976, in Jan's parents' backyard in West Seattle. They honeymooned at a friend's cabin in Minnesota, where their passion for sailing was born. They returned to Aspen and lived a life of bliss, as Ned put it. From there, Jan and Ned became faithful volunteers at the Aspen Music Festival, Dance Aspen, 
the Pitkin County Library, and the Ski Swap. Jan was instrumental in securing cross-country ski equipment from Bob Wade for the students in Aspen Elementary School. People were impressed with her great with her great enthusiasm, and by the way, Jan embraced activities and projects. Jan and Ned served faithfully as election judges in Snowmass Village for many years. In 1981, Jan and Ned moved to Snowmass Village, where Jan sang in the choir at the Snowmass Chapel, and Ned played bells. Following brain surgery for an AVM, Jan suffered a stroke in 1989. Yet her determination and moxie, another quote from Ned, helped her to regain speech, strength, and movement. Symptoms of Parkinson's disease began for Jan in the late 1990s. Although the Roaring Fork Valley didn't offer comprehensive Parkinson's care, Jan's passion for skiing, her closeness with many friends here, and her love for the valley fueled her desire to remain in Snowmass Village and stay the course. In the following years, Jan's determination and enthusiasm never wavered. She refused to give in. Tremendous support and loving care from compassionate and skilled physical therapists of bridging bionics extended Jan's mobility and improved her quality of life. These dedicated physical therapists accompanied Jan and Ned on their journey with Parkinson's. The gift of that is immeasurable. Upon Jan's Parkinson's diagnosis in 2004, Ned promised he would be at her side. And she would never be alone in facing this disease, a promise he kept until February nineteenth, twenty twenty-three. Jan was preceded in death by her parents. She is survived by her devoted husband Ned, her aunt, Roberta Tompkinson, cousins in California, Oregon, Illinois, Texas, and West Virginia, and many hundreds of former students and friends. Donations in Jan's honor and memory may be made to Bridging Bionics, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, or Pathfinders. A celebration of Jan's life will be held in late spring in Snowmass. And now commentary by Steve Skinner, the road to nowhere, Sunday night on the cold, dark streets of Minneapolis. I was walking with a small contingent, including my daughter. Who had just performed a concert at a downtown venue called the Ice House? We were riding high and laughing as we skittered down the snowy sidewalk. A man approached my daughter, asking for money. I was a few steps ahead, but she stopped and said she had a dollar. A lot of people would have kept going. Maybe that would have been the smart thing to do. But she fished through her pockets and found a buck and handed it over, sharing. I think homelessness is the defining issue of our times. It's on display in every major city in the United States. I can't count the times I've passed tents and cardboard shelters and felt my heart run with anguish. For my senior project as a visual communications major back in the Precambrian times, I went to San Francisco and photographed the desperate diaspora. Shuffling their carts and shopping for sustenance in public garbage cans, compassion. 
Human beings snorfling for survival represents the reprehensible waste of our most precious resource, humanity itself. It's our failure of our system, which lifts some up while leaving others behind. I know what you're thinking. It's a choice, maybe for some, but not for everyone. Not everyone has the good fortune of being born into privilege or being born with acumen and snappy faculties. Luck of the draw. Last week at the library, I met a Navajo woman. I am fascinated by Native American stories and culture, and this woman had a wide-open heart and was only too happy to share insights into her culture and lifestyle. If anyone has the right to be bitter and closed off, it is the Native American community. But there she was in a sea of white, openly generous and friendly. In my travels through Indian country and the Four Corners region, I have explored dwellings, petroglyphs and vistas, once the private domain of the ancestors. Even in the most remote locations, lack of respect from the new civilization is on full display, with bullet holes and crass graffiti etched over ancient art. I even know places where pottery shards and arrowheads are still lying about, but over the years, these sacred Midden piles have been picked over and desecrated by people who don't belong there. Most native places that are well-known features, uh, fences and signs admonishing people to not touch and destroy. Just look. We can't help ourselves, apparently. There is so much to learn from the ways of Native Americans. I have read many books and visited a lot of sites in the desert southwest. Still, most of the mysteries are locked away in the minds of elders huddled in unapproachable hogans and kivas. But my new connection was ready to share and eager to invite me into her world. She was a native speaker and took her responsibilities of keeping her culture vibrant very seriously. A good place to start learning the ways of the ancients is a book called The Lakota Way, Stories and Lessons for Living by Joseph M. Marshall III. The book explains, through simple, compelling stories, a way of life that is a road map for healthy society. Each chapter highlights a familiar virtue that is simple and obvious, but somehow missing from day-to-day life. If we all pursued these virtues, virtually no one would be left behind. The themes include humility, perseverance, respect, honor, love, sacrifice, truth, compassion, bravery, fortitude, generosity, and wisdom. No Lakota got away with learning these themes, and it served them well until the Europeans arrived. When life for us was forever altered by the arrival of Europeans, when entire populations were devastated by disease, alcohol, war, and dispossession, we survived by living by the virtues we rather the virtues we learned from our stories. We relied on being the kind of people our stories told us our ancestors had been 
and thereby remaining true to ourselves and to them, and we are still surviving. Some religions, like Buddhism, cite the knowledge that everything and everyone are connected as a deep and noble wisdom. It's actually quite obvious, and you don't need to meditate in a cave for eleven years to realize this universal truth. There's really nothing holy about any of it. When the fact that everything is connected is ignored, some still benefit, but the system itself collapses under the weight of some having a lot at the expense of some not getting what they need to survive. I got mine. Y'all get yours, right? Go into a bookstore in the tourist area of the Southwest and you will find many fine books many written by white people who try to unravel and explain what has been seemingly lost. What do these petroglyphs mean? Why did the ancestral Pueblons flee? How and why did they build this elaborate city? How do these celestial movements fit in with these windows? Why are these doors T-shaped? Why are there roads to nowhere? I went into a bookstore in Minneapolis. It was full to the rafters of tomes written by Native Americans sharing their stories, their beliefs, their recipes, and their heartbreak. Despite the best efforts of the European wave, they have survived, nay flourished, underneath the radar. Sure, a visit to Cortez reveals the influence of today's hurried world. Broken natives are on display, but that is not their way, and some have just been ground beneath the wheels of progress, abandoned to places where water and resources are scarce. And if water and resources are discovered, they are once again shuffled off to some other unseen place. History repeats. The Lakota Way does not include instructions on how to fill one's cup at the expense of others, and we still have a lot to learn. Sharing is a virtue, and we are all connected in this society. The sooner we learn the ancient ways, the sooner we can get people off the streets and start flourishing for real. Steve Skinner is thankful that the stories and lessons of the Native Americans are still available. Reach him at mookzuki at gmail.com. And now, reading from the Wednesday, March 1 edition of Aspen Daily News Online, A Farewell to Plastic Bags on the Horizon? Aspen Council approves ordinance to expand restrictions. Article by Megan Weber. The Aspen City Council approved the first reading of an ordinance on Tuesday that will restrict single-use bags in Aspen and pave the way for more reusable grocery and carry-out containers in the future. Ordinance 6 expands the restrictions on single-use bags within city limits, including grocery bags and takeout containers from restaurants. Since 2011, the city has charged 20 cents per bag for disposable bags in grocery stores, in line with House Bill 21-1162, which the Colorado General Assembly enacted in 2021, all single-use bags across the state now require a 10-cent fee 
Aspen will maintain its 20-cent fee and continue to put the revenue generated from it into a fund used for special waste reduction projects. Every year, we purchase reusable bags to distribute around the city for free for anyone to use when they go to the grocery stores or whenever, or whatever store they might need it at, said Ainsley Brosnan-Smith, a waste diversion and recycling program administrator for the city. And then, we also have our annual free electronic waste recycling event that we host for residents to drop off any e-waste they might have. The free reusable bags are available for anyone to pick up at Aspen City Hall and can be found in wire baskets on the first and third floors. Brazen Smith also said that the e-waste collection event usually results in enough electronics to fill a semi-truck, and then some. Ordinance 6 will split the funds from the single-use bag fees between the city and the business, meaning that $0.16 cents per bag sold will go to the city and $0.04 cents will be kept by the business. The fund collected, rather funds collected by the city will be used for administrative and enforcement costs associated with recycling, com- composting, <laughs> composting, or other waste diversion programs and activities, according to a memorandum. On June 1, rather January 1, 2024, the state will ban distribution of single-use plastic bags as well as styrofoam takeout containers. Instead, retailers will be required to distribute paper bags made from 100% recycled content. This news received a round of applause in the Aspen City Council Chambers on Tuesday. Additionally, on July 1, 2024, municipalities will be allowed to enact stronger laws around what restrictions they can place on single-use plastics. The city is currently limited in what it can do, Brosnan Smith explained, but some rather but come July 1 of next year, the city hopes to enact stronger legislation to help it move towards its goal of 70% waste reduction by 2050. What we propose for the next steps is stakeholder engagement, outreach, and research on what materials to regulate, who to regulate, and material substitutes. And we're interested in pursuing that within the year, Brosnan Smith said. Council members were widely supportive of the ordinance, unanimously agreeing to approve it on the first reading. Mayor Torrey asked what the impact on retailers would be, including high-end retailers that distribute branded shopping bags. Brosnan Smith said retailers will see a field on their tax forums to report the fee collections and that the city will be conducting outreach with businesses about the upcoming challenge, or rather changes. She added that all stores will need to use bags made from 100% recycled content starting next year. The passage of Ordinance 6 and the outreach that will follow is just the tipping point for businesses that will need to learn about these changes, said Councilwoman Rachel Richards. It's It's what is happening now, but it's what they can expect in a year, in two years, she said. For many of those companies, they might continue with the same sort of bag design, but they now need to know they have to find a different manufacturer or producer who can use recycled materials in that bag. 
Council members also credited Tory with putting the Waste Reduction Fund into action in 2011 when he sat on the city council. At that time, he was the driving force behind the 20-cent fee. Tory shifted the focus to the rest of the 2011 city council and the community, which he said is fortunate to have so many members supporting environmental health. We've been very lucky here in our local city market. The management and leadership here is very dedicated to doing as much as they can, whether it's taking back the plastic bags that they can. They've been composting for a while. They're conscientious, he said. But it's actions like these that get them to move their efforts further, faster. Ordinance 6 will return to the council for a second reading on March 14. And now, reading from the Thursday, March 2 edition of Aspen Daily News Online, mayoral council candidates offer last-minute messages to voters. Aspen municipal election is a week away. Hopefuls in home stretch. Article by Megan Weber. With Election Day only days away, Aspen voters who have not yet turned in their ballots still have some time to make up their minds on their choices for Aspen City Council and Mayor. On March 7, Aspen will decide whether Mayor Tory will sit at the head of the council table for two more years, or whether Tracy Sutton will replace him. Three candidates are also on the ballot for two available council seats, Sam Rose, Bill Guth, and incumbent Skippy Messero. Until 7 p.m. on election night, it's go time for the candidates. I'll continue to do some door knocking. I was out there for two hours in the cold yesterday. Guth said, it was actually a great experience, good reception. So continuing to do that, continuing to encourage people to vote, whomever they're voting for. I would love to see record turnout this time. In Aspen's 2021 municipal election, 2,300 ballots were cast out of 6,100 registered voters, according to City Clerk Nicole Hanning. This year, 853 ballots have already been cast ahead of Tuesday, Hanning told the Daily News. Like Guth, Rose and Messero also plan to have as many conversations with people as they can in the coming days, putting out their messages and encouraging people to vote. Rose said he expects votes to come in more steadily on Tuesday, and until then, he's working hard to reaching out to people and having impactful conversations about issues like the recent lockdowns at the Aspen School District and the renewed litigation at Centennial Apartments. I very much have poured my heart and soul into this campaign, not for personal gain, but to serve this community, Rose said. If elected, it really would be the honor of a lifetime, and I would pour my heart and soul also into being the best city council person I could possibly be. Messero encouraged people to watch for his phone calls or mailers in the coming days, and he will also continue knocking on doors throughout the home stretch. As the incumbent, Messero has run on a platform of bold, progressive ideas that not everyone agrees with or finds realistic, but he said that doesn't mean that progress can't be made. There is one candidate with a vision of how we hold on to and prioritize community, 
And there are two who have put forth no new ideas and only grievances and complaints and grievances and complaints can't solve the problems, he said. To have a vision is not to misunderstand the hundreds of incremental steps along the way. And I have ten years of experience doing meaningful work with tangible results or dedicated in incremental action, and I understand it takes both. Guth who is running on the opposite side of many policies from Messero, said that while he would not have voted to impose the short-term rental taxes at the rates that they were designated, he is not opposed to SDR taxation or regulation. What I don't necessarily agree with is the con- uh, the convoluted results that we got to, he said. I believe that a better solution for our community is an equitable tax across any stay less than 30 days. Hotel, condo, fractional, house, whatever. I think that would have been a much better approach, and that's something that I would like to work towards. As for the mayoral candidates, the campaign trail is continuing full steam ahead. Sutton said she plans to continue knocking on doors, making phone calls, and staying in touch with voters on her social media platforms. She encouraged voters to continue reaching out to her with questions about her position on issues and other facts. I'm available any time, she said. I think that Aspen really does need a change in leadership, and I want to be that person, and I'm asking for their vote. Tory plans to stick to routine this week and continue greeting passerbys on the corner of Main Street and Mill Street, talking to voters in neighborhoods and making phone calls until 7 p.m. On Election Day, when he's not busy getting out the vote, he plans to spend some time attending the World Cup festivities this weekend. I want to make it clear that I work for this community and for a strong Aspen community, he said. This vote comes down to fighting for the character and soul of Aspen, and I don't think people should underestimate what that means. This is somewhat of a pivotal election for Aspen and our future. Ballots are due at 7 p.m. on March 7 at the Aspen City Clerk's Office. A drop box is located at Rio Grande Place near the entrance of Aspen City Hall, and in-person voting is also available at the clerk's office on the third floor. The ballot drop box at the Pitkin County Administration Building is not available for voting in the municipal election. And now, continuing with the Thursday, March 2 edition of Aspen Daily News Online, ASD receives another hoax threat call one week after schools threatened similar call puts campus insecure. One week to the day after Aspen School District and roughly 20 other schools around Colorado was the recipient of threats prompting the school to go into lockdown and community to go into a panic. Another call of the same nature was made to the school. Threats made toward Aspen Middle School ultimately were discovered to be unfounded after the school instead opted for a secure response as opposed to last week's lockdown. A secure response prevents individuals from entering or leaving the school, but programming continues normally. Our law enforcement received a call at approximately 9.30 a.m. with a very, rather, with a very similar message as was received last week that caused our lockdown, Aspen School District said in an email to parents. Today, rather than locking down, we secured all buildings at the outside entrances while law enforcement cleared the entire campus.
after an all-clear, we resumed normal activities. Like last Wednesday's events, Aspen was one of several schools to receive threats across the state. Alamosa School District, Boulder Valley School District, and others uh, were repeat recipients of the calls, prompting an FBI investigation. Yesterday's calls, that would have been a few days ago for our listeners, uh, saw several schools respond similarly to the one made to Aspen in an initial social media post from local law enforcement acknowledging responses to threats in Brighton. Uh, mention was made of last week's hoax calls and a belief that the threats were not credible. In Aspen, the threats in last week's calls were made toward Aspen Elementary School. Roaring Fork School District, after Glenwood Springs High School went on lockdown in last week's string of calls, went into, quote, secure as well on Wednesday in response to the threat made to Aspen. No calls were reported by RFSD or local law enforcement on Wednesday. After last week's events, Aspen School District was called out for its lack of communication, prompting a public town hall meeting in which Superintendent David Bow apologized for the shortfall. On Wednesday, Aspen came close to adhering to its promises of updated information every half an hour. On Facebook, their initial acknowledgement of the secure was posted at 9.49 a.m., approximately 20 minutes after the call was received. They posted again at 10.01 a.m. to state they confirmed there was no threat, and again at 10.45 a.m. to announce that the secure had been lifted. Each of the three posts was accommodated uh, by another of the same information in Spanish in response to a complaint by multiple parents following last week's lockdown. Pitton County Sheriff Michael Buglion and Under Sheriff Alex Burchetta both did not immediately respond to requests for comment for the story. We will continue to respond per our safety protocols to all threats to the campus. Our law enforcement officers will also continue to respond appropriately. The ASD email concludes. And now, City announces five finalists for new Aspen Police Chief, former and current interim chiefs Lynn Consregra in the mix. Article by Megan Weber. The City of Aspen announced five finalists on Wednesday for new chief of the Aspen Police Department. The finalists were narrowed down from a pool of 44 applicants, according to a press release from the city. Going forward, they will enter an extensive interview process that includes six components, from meeting a city and police department staff to interacting with the community members. Among the five finalists are current APD staff and member Bill Lynn, current interim chief and and current interim chief, and Linda Consuegra, and that's C-O-N-S-U-E-G-R-A, former interim chief and current assistant chief of administration. In December, the city announced that Consuegra and Lynn would split the interim role until March 22 in preparation for a permanent replacement. The other three candidates are Kimberly Ferber, the operations commander for uh, the Sterling Police Department in Sterling, Colorado, uh, Charlie Schopflin, Schopflin, C, that's S-C-H-O-E-P-F-L-I-N, Schopflin, a commander at the Commerce City Police Department, and Lori Scott, the assistant chief of police for the city of Loveland, Colorado. These five candidates have continually impressed the recruitment team with their energy, 
initiative, and progressive approach to community policing. Aspen City Manager Sarah Ott said in the release, I am looking forward to getting getting to know the candidates better and hearing from the community in this stage of the selection process. On March 8 and 9, candidates will be formally interviewed by a community member panel and other panel comprised of city leadership and law enforcement professionals. Candidates will also meet with APD staff. The job profile was created by city staff and executive recruitment firm Strategic Government Resources, which includes uh, included key qualities in the top candidate development through feedback that come f- that came from the community members, Aspen City Council members, law enforcement professionals, and city staff this past fall. We look forward to providing an opportunity for our community to be part of the comprehensive recruitment process next week. Courtney DeVito, Aspen's Human Resource Director, said in a statement, Community input is essential in helping us select the right candidate to lead Aspen's police and department moving forward. In December, Aspen's longest-serving police chief in town history, Richard Pryor, retired after a 15-year tenure at the head of the department. The search for the successor began soon after his departure, with Lynn and Consregra stepping into the interim roles in the meantime. Bios on each of the five candidates for Pryor's replacement are available at aspencommunityvoice.com slash police dash chief slash recruitment. That site again, aspencommunityvoice.com slash police dash chief dash recruitment. Members of the public will be able to view the bios and provide feedback on the candidates on the webpage. Comments will be accepted by the city until March 13 at 10 a.m. The community is also invited to, to a candidate meet-and-greet event on March 8 from 5.15 to 6.45 p.m. in the community room at the Aspen Police Department. Once again, the community is invited to a candidate meet-and-greet event on March 8 from 5.15 to 6.45 p.m. in the community room at the Aspen Police Department. All five candidates will attend to interact with community members and introduce themselves. The police department is located at 540 East Main Street, and the event will be on the second floor. And now, a look at news in brief. Aspen Council approves Organics Waste Ordinance. The Aspen City Council on Tuesday approved an ordinance that will prohibit organics from trash headed for landfill disposal. The first phase of Ordinance 4 will be effective October 15 and applies to restaurants and retail food operators, according to a news release. In the coming years, all commercial businesses, multifamily properties, and every individual in Aspen will be required to separate organics from the trash. The Council's 5-0 vote represents part of the city's solid waste diversion goals, which include reducing organic materials going to the landfill by 25% by 2025 and 100% by 2050. Those goals support the city's overall greenhouse gas emissions reduction targets of 63% by 2030 and 100% by 2050. Voluntary participation for composting is resulting in roughly a 3% 
or 4% diversion rate of organic material from the landfill, which is nowhere near what the city needs to achieve its climate goals, the release says. Trash produced by restaurants is between 60 and 80% compostable, making them the largest generator of organic waste in the city. This ordinance is the single largest action the city has taken to reduce organics from being disposed of as landfill trash, said Ainsley Brosnan-Smith, Waste Diversion and Recycling Program Administrator for the city. Brosnan-Smith added that when food is buried in the landfill, it produces methane, a greenhouse gas more potent than carbon dioxide, adding to Aspen's greenhouse gas footprint. A 2022 study found 42.6% of the trash buried at the Pitton County Solid Waste Center was organic materials that could have been diverted for compost. Organic material is the single largest category of material disposed of as trash in the city. I'll read that again. Organic material is the single largest category of material disposed of as trash in the city. The council's mandate will return organic resources back to the community and the local environment, promoting a zero-waste culture. As a result of this ordinance... We hope to see restaurants uh, reassess their food inventories and avoid the spoilage of unused food, Brosnan Smith said. We are eager to start working with businesses one-on-one to prepare them for the first phase of this mandate on October 15. All commercial businesses and multifamily properties must separate organics from substances designated for trash disposal according to Ordinance 4. The Environmental Health and Sustainability Department will educate and enforce the new law and will be available to businesses and individuals to help make the transition as smooth as possible, the release adds. The ordinance passed on first reading February 14. For more information, visit aspen.gov slash 357 waste or send an email to waste at aspen.gov. And now, snow, cool temps, allow Skiko to extend season. Given above-average snowfall every month since October and consistent cooler temperatures, Aspen Skiing Company will extend the season of two of its four mountains, Aspen Highlands and Aspen Mountain. Each will open for an extra week, Aspen Highlands will now close on April 16, along with Snowmass Ski Area. Aspen Mountain season will be extended through April 23. Buttermilk will close as scheduled on April 2. Snowmass and Aspen Highlands have both already tracked around 300 inches of snowfall this season so far, which is close to the full season average totals, a Ski Co. news release says. This has been one of the best winters for consistent snow that we've seen in recent history. Katie Ertl, Senior Vice President of Mountain Operations, said in the release, Every month since October has exceeded the monthly average snowfall, and temperatures have remained cool overall. With March and April snowfall still to come, it looks promising to be an outstanding spring. More details regarding pricing and services will be announced at a later time. Visit aspensnowmass.com slash four-mountains slash mountain-announcements for further information.
Thank you for joining us for Aspen Daily News. My name is Greg Stewart. AINC programming is brought to you in part by funds from the Virginia W. Hill Foundation. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.